Welcome to another episode of Human Becomings. I have Stacey Bertman with me today. Stacey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mila. It's such an honor to be here. Oh, it's, the honor is mine. It's such a humbling experience to speak with really epic people like your soul with a great mind and great heart, most importantly. Thank you. So before we start and we go further, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, sure. So you want the long version or the short version? <laughs> any, any version that you like to share? So basically what I do now is I am a doctor of natural medicine. Um, what I do is help people heal the disconnect between themselves and their higher self, let's say. And how I go about it is we work on three, excuse me, four levels. We work on the physical body, the emotional body, the mental body, and what I call the purposeful, purposeful body. All of these different bodies have real and measurable effects on all of the other ones, right? So if you, let's say, eat right and exercise and do all those things that you're supposed to do physically, but you're living a life that's unfulfilling, then that's going to actually have a real and measurable effect on your nervous system and your biochemical makeup and eventually your physiology. Um, same thing in reverse. If you're totally clear on your purpose, but you're not um, doing the things you need to do for your physical body or emotional state or working through your you know, patterned beliefs, um, then you're probably, it's probably going to hinder you from getting to your purpose or, or at least following through on your purpose. Um, so these are the ways that I typically work with people. I also have a, or a line of organic whey protein powder called the System by Stacy that comes out of the physical realm. So I, I first started as a fitness trainer um, in New York City. Then I went on to get a nutrition specialist certification. And I realized at that point in my life when I was, you know, 20-ish, I was like, oh, exercise, now you're healthy. And then I was like, okay, you got to eat right too. Okay, exercise, eat right, now you're healthy. And then eventually as, as I got older, I was like, okay, there are lots of different levels of being healthy. It's not just about exercise and eating right. So anyway, born out of that philosophy was the system. Um, which, like I said, is an organic whey protein powder line. And then I have a private practice. I am writing a book called Love Yourself. Uh, excuse me, it's the, we just changed the name. <laughs> so it's called The Naked Project, uh, Science, Spirituality, and Weight Loss. Um, so again, it's how our thoughts affect our immune system, metabolism, all that stuff. And I'm also about to start a television show. That's exciting. <laughs> called, yeah, that's very exciting. Called Love Yourself, The Naked Project. And that is about the experience. So basically how I started this concept was out of my dissertation research. My dissertation was research was based off of my 20 plus years in the health and fitness industry where I found that no matter what a woman looked like on the outside, on the inside, they always had this negative dialogue going on. So I wondered when I went back to school, my uh, schooling was in my field of study was in psychoneuroimmunology, how our thoughts affect our nervous system, our immune system, so on and so forth. So I wondered now coming from this background, 
found where I saw this negative dialogue in most women, I wondered what those negative thoughts actually did to the physical body. And did they have an effect on weight loss? And in fact, yes, they do. Um, so the Naked Project, uh, excuse the, the Naked Project, which is the book, and then the Love Yourself, the Naked Photo Shoots, was born out of this experience because I wanted to offer women a safe space where they could come in and shed all of their masks, all their should be's or all their ought to be's and basically get naked. But in, in the nakedness is the vulnerability. Really, that's, that's what we're trying to access, right? So you take off your clothes. That's some of the, one of the most vulnerable states any person can be in, especially in front of complete strangers. And then start working through these guided uh, questions that I offer the, the models, like, well, what does your sexy look like? What does your strong look like? What is your powerful? What is your vulnerable? And usually we have this concept of what those things look like according to society or the patriarchy or religion or culture or whatever, but we haven't taken time to define those things for ourselves. So this is an opportunity to come and explore those things for yourself. You know, it's, it's very interesting. I'll give you an example and please stop me if I ramble because I tend to do that. <laughs> when women come in and you ask them, what's your strong, they'll typically do something like this. But women's strength is in our lower body. So a more appropriate female strength, and of course this is a broad generalization, but female strength would be more something like opening the stance of the feet and grounding in, right? Because our, our base, our, our, our power is from the hips down. And this is interesting. Yeah. And this just goes to show how, you know, without our conscious awareness, we've been indoctrinated to believe or, you know, indoctrinated might not be the right word, but actually it probably is to believe like these, what is powerful. Man does not equate to powerful. Man can be powerful. Women can be powerful as well, but it will look different. And so anyway, that's just an example of how these subconscious beliefs affect our thoughts, feelings, and actions. So, and my goal with the photo shoots as well as now the, the television show is to have women come in and explore these ideas um, according and redefining them for, for themselves. Ooh. That's just such a beautiful <laughs> explanation. No. You touched on a lot of points, Stacey. Uh, one of the things that really stood out to me is our stance, right? You mentioned what is powerful, and, and you're so right. The minute when you say powerful or show me your power, what's powerful to you, people normally flex like you, like you show. They normally flex. Right. But even I didn't know that women's strength is in, in their legs. I, I had no clue about that. But just having that perspective opens up so much of doors for ourselves to explore. And another thing that I, I've always been fascinated by is how our thoughts affect us, right? And, and you're so right. Like as a child, <laughs> well, I was such a fat child, right? And I've always been like fat shamed and whatnot. But the thoughts that I've always had as a child was on oh, fat. I'm, I'm not getting her by, I'm stupid. Because that was what was conditioned and that was what was peed onto me and it happens to everyone. But I started noticing that I was getting sick. And you're so right. 
you know, taught nowadays, not just nowadays, in, in, in a culture now where we are so immersed with go, go, go culture, right? There's no pausing. There's no pause. There's no rest first. And if you, if you want to take a rest day, you need to take a mental day or mental health day or it has, it has deduced to such lens, right? Like, and people do not realize your thoughts actually affects your health. And I want to dig a little bit deeper into this. Like how can people shift having negative thoughts? Because it has become our narrative, our daily narrative based on what we see in media, people around us. And of course we can't blame people because they are getting the are stories from the media as well, from the people whom they are surrounded by, from the negativity being attacked onto them or imposed onto them from numerous number of ways. So from a very purposeful way, right? Purposeful way. How can we shift our thoughts and that narrative into a more fluent, positive landscape? So the first step in any healing process really is becoming aware of that there is a problem, right? That, so that's always the first step that I have people take when we're working together. Because if you don't know there's a problem, there's nothing to work on, right? Um, so the first thing is, you know, start recognizing when those voices become so part of our day-to-day -day life that sometimes we don't even recognize they're there. They're just running on autopilot. The moment that you can recognize that it's running without you even being involved, then that's the moment when you can interrupt it. So first is awareness. Second is interrupting that thought pattern. So at a neurological level, what's going on is we've been conditioned. And when I, mean, when I say conditioned, I mean our nervous system has been developed in this way to repeat these thoughts and how that shows up in the nervous system is you have these neural pathways that have been wired together and strengthened together, right? So they'll shoot off at any time of the day and you'll continue that train of thought and then you'll start feeling in line with that train of thought and that's releasing biochemicals in the body and then your mind is picking up those biochemicals and reinforcing that thought, reinforcing that way of, of feeling and now we get stuck in this thinking feeling thinking feeling loop so when you can interrupt that thought then you have now decreased the strength of that neural pathway you have decreased the release of those biochemicals that we associate with feelings and you have diminished that cycle so interrupting it another you could interrupt it and then replace it with a more positive thought, but one that you actually believe. So for example, I work with a lot of people who have had body image issues. So if you have this thought that has now been running on autopilot for 20, 30 something years, um, and the thought is I am fat, I am not worthy, then you try to interrupt it, and if you replace it with something like, well, I am beautiful, but your nervous system doesn't believe it, then it's not gonna sink in. Does that make sense so far? 
So instead, what you have to do is you have to replace that thought or interrupt that thought with something that you actually believe to be true. So maybe it's, I have great hair, or I really like my toenails, or this is a great outfit, or whatever it is, something that you truly believe. Mm -hmm. And then what that does is it uh, gets the conscious mind, which is what we're engaging with now, and the subconscious mind in sync. Whereas if you say something that you don't actually believe, then you're not in sync, right? And that's not going to change the nervous system over time. And then repetition. So doing that repeatedly over and over and over again. Neurologically, you're decreasing the strength of the neural pathways associated with the negative self-talk and then replacing them and building strength on the neural pathways associated with more positive talk. That makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. And then of course there's, you know, there's a lot of because so 95% of our thoughts, feelings and actions are based off of subconscious processing. So that means subconscious out of our awareness. Only 5% of our thoughts, feelings and actions are based off, off of our conscious processing, right? So 95% of the time you're not even going to know that these are your beliefs, right? You're not even going to know that you have this negative dialogue going on. Um, so, but it, they are completely informing everything you think, feel, and do. So meditation. Or oh, I love meditation. So meditation is a wonderful opportunity to watch your mind in action. Um, so, and of course, you know, there's a, a whole bunch of different types of meditation. Um, but it, and, and anyone I would say is, is going to do it. The, what you really want to do is make sure you're consistent with it. Um, so it's not like once a week, it's not once every month. I mean, ideally it's every day, even if it's for 10, 20 minutes. Um, if you could do it for longer, that would be better because what happens is it comes off, it, you start healing in layers, right? So the longer you could stay in that space of keeping your conscious mind shut off and allowing those things to come up from your subconscious mind, the quicker you'll get to wherever it is you want to be. I love that you said meditation uh, gets into layers and I feel that too. It's that different kinds of meditation, right? And I, I want listeners to, to know that you don't need to sit there for an hour yeah. and meditate like what Stacey shared. Uh, and some days, like I, I meditate almost every day, except on the days that where I get migraines, where then I'm like, no, I'm not meditating today. But there are some days where I can focus and some days I get lots of interruption. Mm -hmm. And, and it's hard, it's hard Stacey on the days where, where your mind is just fully engaged, right? And, and sometimes people say it's the monkey brain. I don't, I don't like that term. I don't think it's a monkey brain. Monkeys are really intelligent. I feel like our brains are so active in a way that it's just firing up so many different um, thoughts. And some days it's just difficult to focus. And what are your tips on those days, right? When we can't focus, when we're meditating and thoughts of, oh, I would like to have a scone or I'd like to drink some tea right now, or, or what shall I eat for dinner, or what shall I have for tea time? Yeah. <laughs> okay, there are days like that. 
And on those kind of days, how do you practice yeah. being conscious with the subconscious? So I think, first of all, I just want to say to, to all your listeners that I've been meditating for more than 20 years now, and still I have days like that. So, you know, if you're just starting out and you're like, oh, I can't do this, like, it, that never ends. <laughs> that will always be there. Um, so, and, and those are the days where, you know, there are times too where I sit down into meditation and it's just going and it's going. And I usually meditate first thing in the morning, right? Which is decisive. It's a very good time because you're, you're not fully conscious yet. So you already have the benefit of having that part of your brain slightly a bit slower. Um, so I, you know, the biggest, the best advice I could give in that is learn to sit in the uncomfortableness of it. Um, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I right? love it. Because those days are gonna happen. You know, it's like when I, when I talk to people and I tell them about like making mistakes. And I picture it like this. If you have a program and, and the program is always succeed, 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 then when you make a mistake, you feel like a failure. But if you have a program and you have days in, that you're going to have setbacks and you're going to make mistakes and there are going to be problems, then overall you haven't, you're still succeeding because you've built those setbacks into the program and you don't feel like a failure. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So I think meditation is the same way. Going in, just know you're going to have days like that. There are days I sit down and I'll be there for an hour and it's only the last five minutes where I feel like I really, really get into it. Um, and you know, my first thoughts in the first few minutes is, oh, fuck this. I should just get up and, and <laughs> <you know? Yes. laughs> but that's what I mean with getting comfortable in the uncomfortableness is just sit with it because it is showing you something, you know, it's, it is showing you first that you need to meditate, <laughs> but also it's showing you your own mind. It's showing you the way that your, your mind is working. And, and that is the awareness part, right? So if you're sitting in it and you're just, then you, you know, oh my God, okay, I'm a human doing. I'm not a human being right now. What can I do to make this different in my day-to-day -day life? I love it. And, and what you mentioned about being comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? And that is something that we as humans tend not to engage in, even in this day and era. Uh, people feel a sense of, there's so many sense, so many layers, right? And uh, like uh, the layer of ego comes into play, the layer of insecurities tied in with ego, the layer of um, fear comes in, the layer of what all the what ifs comes in, right? And and that kind of clouds our thoughts of, okay, if I am not comfortable in an uncomfortable situation, it is not familiar to me. Mm. I only want to engage in the familiarity of what I'm used to. Mm. And that does not challenge us, right? Let it be, a, even when we get into conflicts with our spouse or with our partners or with our parents, we just walk away like, oh, I don't want to speak about this right now. And then we have so much of anger and then we walk away. 
and that door shuts. <laughs> and, there's, and it doesn't heal, right? And we do not bring awareness to, to that phase or, or, or that point of our, our journey. I, thought, I call that the journey because when we shut down from just because of being uncomfortable, we shut down the opportunities of being aware like you mentioned, being conscious mm -hmm. and because that is a trained, I feel like that's something trained uh, by whatever that we have seen in our environment. And we kind of like pick on our habits of what we see, how we see how conflict is being, being performed. And I say performed because everything is an act. And I'm not saying that we're all acting an act of either consciousness or subconsciousness. But in moments like conflict, right, and there's so much of conflict going on right now in our world, how can someone become comfortable with the uncomfortable? Um, it's just in a landscape of hatred right now. That's a really good question. Um, I would... The first thing that I want to point out, though, too, is that we feel comfortable in the familiar, but the, comfort, but the familiar is not necessarily positive. It's not necessarily good. And, and I'll give you an example. If you are, let's say, from an abused childhood, that becomes your baseline. That becomes familiar. That becomes comfortable. And then that informs the rest of the way you think, feel, and behave going forward. And then you start attracting those situations, those people, um, those experiences that reinforce those ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving. And we're comfortable with it because it's familiar, because it's what's always happened. That doesn't mean it's a good thing at all. It just means it's baseline. So I would even start questioning, well, what is comfortable and why is that comfortable for you? That may not be based on a positive experience. That may be, you may be just gravitating towards it because it's familiar to you. So that's the first thing, that's, that's bullshit, right? <laughs> I'm like, let's check what your comfort level is yes. and why it's that. <laughs> um, and then second, I think in terms of dealing with the uncomfortableness of, for example, arguments with significant others or friends or even bosses or, or anything like that is facing it head on. You know, I, I'm the master of avoiding. <laughs> I would love to avoid any <laughs> confrontation ever. <laughs> I don't care what it is, I'd rather run away. Um, I'm 43 years old now, and I've realized that that doesn't work. And that facing the disagreement or the uncomfortableness is a more important step in healing within the self and within, within relationship um, than avoiding because if you just avoid you just continue in that pattern and you continue doing and thinking and feeling the same things so first question your comfort levels why is that comfortable to you and then once you recognize okay let's say this is a 
an uncomfortable feeling, um, then like sit with it, try to understand it, and then face it head on. And what I mean head on, I don't mean try to break through the uncomfortableness. So when I, when I say uh, get comfortable in the uncomfortableness and, and face it head on, I don't mean you have to bulldoze your way through the uncomfortableness. I don't mean like have an argument. I don't mean anything like that. What I mean is expand your container for that uncomfortableness. So I have a, a, a story. I think it's a Zen, uh, Zen proverb or Zen story. And it was a master and a student. And the student asks his master, um, how do you deal with life's bitterness. And the master says, go get a cup of water and a table, uh, uh, a spoonful of salt. And he says, put, put the salt in the water, mix it up, and now drink it. So the student drinks it. He says, master says, how does that taste? He's like, oh, it's disgusting. It's, it's so salty. He said, okay, come with me. They walk to a stream. He says, now take the same spoon of salt, mix it in the stream, and now drink from that stream. And he says, what do you taste now? And he says, I just taste fresh water. It doesn't taste salty. And that's the, that's, that's the moral of the story, that if you, if you hold a very small container on the uncomfortableness, it becomes bitter and salty and gross. If you expand that container now, the uncomfortableness and the bitterness dissolves into a much larger stream, and you don't taste it as much. So getting comfortable in the uncomfortableness and expanding the container for it is really where the healing starts happening. It's beautifully put, Stacey. And, and, and that's what we need in our lives, right? <laughs> it's, it's embracing and, and thinking. I feel like we need to think big. We need to embrace um, whatever uncomfortable situations that we are in and we feel like we feel like you know we can't handle situations and I feel like the more we actually let it go and let it go as in not run away from it I and I used to be that person right I hated conflict uh up till up till last year <laughs> so I'm 41 now so can you imagine it's like so I forced myself i forced myself like mila no you're not going to run away from things anymore yeah. right and it, again it's like you said familiar with that uncomfortable stance right because i was so familiar with just running away running away just do not do not retaliate or retaliate in the form of standing up for myself or speaking up for myself because i was so familiar with okay let's just run away from it but the universe always teaches you a lesson, right? It's like it reoccurs and reoccurs and reoccurs until I felt like, okay, the universe is telling me something. Me, like, bloody do this, like, stop running away. And that's when I was like, no, I'm going to do this because I started seeing it from right. a <laughs> thank you from a very think big perspective. And I love your analogy that you used with the Zen story, like taking the salt and dissolving it in the river and the river is so fluid right it yeah. keeps on moving and when things keep on moving you go with the flow as well and i absolutely love that analogy that you used
Yeah. And I think I want to just also mention what, what you just said, where like you're, you know, you forced yourself, the universe kept showing you this lesson and you forced yourself to like deal with your shit basically. And this is what, what we call the wisdom of no escape. So if you can escape, you will. If you do escape, you repeat the same patterns. If you repeat the same patterns, you stay stuck. So great. So the universe will design it in a way eventually where you will experience the wisdom of no escape. And sometimes that's, that's, that's in exper experience, right? So maybe it's boss, relationship, job, something like that. But also it will show up in your physical body. And that's when you see disease, chronic pain, um, chronic tension in the body. Um, those are also the wisdom of no escape. That's also the universe showing you through your physical body that something is wrong and you need to deal with it. And if you don't deal with it, this situation or disease or pain or whatever is going to just continue and continue and continue. Um, so I guess that's another thing that I would, would uh, tell uh, your listeners is that everything, there are all, the universe is always giving you signals. Sometimes they're very subtle um, and sometimes they're, like a frying pan to the head because you're too thick to pay attention. I've been there many times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that you used to take the frying pan. <laughs> like, okay, we've been through this before. How many more times are we going to do it? Let me hit you on the head with this one and hopefully now you pay attention. <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. I, I love it, Stacey. So, how can humans, right? Because we are constantly growing, we're constantly evolving. I, I know you shared some steps about the first step in shifting that mindset from a very engaged, from an over-engaged uh, brain um, into awareness is to you know, embrace and really acknowledge certain things. Can you give three steps in how we can become more aware, we can become comfortable in being uncomfortable, one for each of it. And what are some of the things that we need to be, be more aware and execute on ourselves to take care of ourselves, to change that narrative in our mindset from I can't to I can. Yeah. So I'm going to go in reverse here and I think because you said the word overlooked I believe and I think one of the major things that people overlook when they're talking about changing their mindset and changing you know the way that they engage with the world is your physical body now when we say mind and body we're creating dualism where, where there is none, right? You can't have your brain without your body. You can't have your body without your brain. We're one unit. And so when you are focused on this ideal version of yourself, but you're not also working through the body, and I'm not talking about being fit or doing push-ups or eating, you know, paleo. What I'm talking about is the nervous system 
your memories and experiences get wired into your nervous system. Your emotions get stored in the tissue of the body as biochemicals. The things that you eat are also converted into biochemicals in the body. The way you move also affects the nervous system. So we can use a bottom-up approach in certain ways to start shifting the way that we think, which is the nervous system, and the way that we feel, which are the biochemicals. If we, we can use the body as a tool to start shaking those things up. In a very real way, I'm not, you know, again, it's not about fitting into a size whatever or losing 10 pounds or running a marathon, although those are all great if that's what you want to do. I'm talking about using the body as a tool of enlightenment. So I think that that's really often overlooked. I know a lot of people who are very in their body and not so much in their heads and vice versa. I know a lot of people who are just in their heads and look down on you know things to do with the body and so i would say i would say start with your body and and the thing too is that that's a very tangible thing you know you're going to notice right away your thinking and your feeling is going to change when you do those things for yourself so that's one of the i think most overlooked the most tangible and one of the easiest things and when i say easy i know it's not necessarily easy to motivate and do whatever activity, but, but like in this tangible material world, it's one of the easiest. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing with getting comfortable in the uncomfortableness is, and this is kind of a, a biohack, but it's, it's doing things that make you feel uncomfortable, right? So maybe it is going for a run or maybe it's, you know, taking an improv class or, um, climbing a mountain or doing public speaking, whatever it is, the, the more that you are able to push yourself outside of that comfort zone, the more comfortable you get with being uncomfortable. And that is not, you know, then that eventually carries over to any other thing in your life, right? It's not, your nervous system is not filtering for content. It's like, oh, I got really comfortable with being on stage, but oh, not none of this. No, your nervous system is like, oh, you expanded me, and now I'm able to hold a larger level of uncomfortableness without freaking out and running away or, or getting angry and confronting shit. You know what I mean? And then what's the last one that you said? Becoming aware? Right. Okay. So becoming aware, um, what I would have, what I would recommend is um, start looking at the patterns. And this is a much longer process, but start looking at the patterns. Like, are you, do you always attract the same kind of person to you? Okay. If you're attracting the same kind of person to you over and over again, that's going to show you exactly what you need to work on. Because often the person or experiences that you're attracting to you are mirroring something in yourself. Not often, always. <laughs> they're, mirror some, they're mirroring something in you. And so by looking at your repeated patterns, you can start becoming aware of your um, subconscious beliefs. So I'll give you an example. Um, food. And I know people who chronically undereat. Now, 
there are two symbols in the universe for nurturance. First is mother, because she nurtures you, I mean, physically with, with milk, but also with love and support and all that stuff. The second version of nurturance is food, very real way, right? And so when I start working with something, with someone, and I notice that they chronically undereat, then that gives me an idea that some, the relationship with the mother was somehow affected because now we've become conditioned by the lack of nurturance from our mother. She's not nurturing us. So now we become conditioned to believe we don't deserve to be nourished. And now we continue that subconscious pattern by under eating. So it's the same exact pattern. It's just taking a different form because now we're adults and we don't, need mother's milk basically so looking and looking at those patterns looking at those lifelong patterns that always come back are directly mirroring the things that you need to work on does that make sense yes beautifully put stacy i i love your mind i love your heart i call it the hardship <laughs> it's it's that's what I believe, right? It's, it's not leadership anymore. It's, it's, I believe in hardship. You're leading with the heart. You're speaking from your heart. I, I truly appreciate you sharing this space with me today and sharing your epic mind, your brain, it's beautiful, and your heart. And Stacey, where can listeners find you? So I am everywhere all the time. <laughs> no, I'm so they can find me on um, the systembystacy.com. That's my line of organic whey protein powders, but also I have a very active blog. And then for my healing work, it's stacyberman.com. And Stacy is S-T-A-C-Y-B-E-R-M-A-N. And Instagram is at Stacy Berman PhD. <laughs> Beautiful. You now know where to find Stacy. Stacy, thank you again for coming on board and sharing thank great you. wisdom in how thank we. Thank you so can... much, Mila. It's been such a pleasure. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome, Stacy.